Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean and this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. Hi everyone, this week I'll be flying solo, Kate's on a business trip, so I'll be talking about a paper titled Perceptions of Fear and Anxiety in Horses as reported in interviews with equine behaviorists. This paper is by Suzanne Rogers and Catherine Bell. It's from uh, September 2022. Now, last week we talked about anxiety in horse owners, uh, especially so before a horse show or event. So this week, I thought we could talk about anxiety in horses and what the newest research shows. Now, previous studies have identified that people are not the greatest at recognizing fear and pain in their horses. And so it's quickly becoming one of the key welfare concerns uh, for horses worldwide. This study was focused more on the United Kingdom, but I think this could be applied in just about any country. Given that equine behaviorists are uniquely placed to understand how horse managers and owners, our trainers, perceive fear and anxiety in their horses. This study examined the experiences of registered equine behaviorists working with horse caregivers. Now, There were somewhat semi-structured interviews conducted with nine participants, and then they were analyzed using thematic analysis. Three key response themes emerged. Uh, The first one was that caregivers are extremely poor at recognizing fear and anxiety in horses. Uh, some clients do recognize behavioral signs indicating fear or anxiety, and we can equate that with stress, but only the apparent or overt signs uh, do they recognize. The more subtle signs like tension in the face, um, avoidance behaviors, a hesitant gait, that's not as quickly interpreted as stress in the horse. So this study uh, provides us with initial insights into the lack of recognition of fear, anxiety, stress in horses by their caretakers in the United Kingdom together with tried and tested approaches um, in conversation to try and change this. Now, one of the first things I wanted to point out about this study is that in the United Kingdom, there are registered equine behaviorists, and they are actually um, graduated from a recognized United Kingdom university, and then they also pass a license exam 
to be awarded that particular registration. And later on in the research, it comes out why they picked registered equine behaviorists to interpret some of what these caregivers were saying. So um, another main component of this paper was that it aimed to gain an understanding of how well horse caregivers recognize fear or anxiety by interviewing these behaviorists right after they've interacted with horse owners, trainers, and riders. So there is a group um, or an organization called Animal Behavior and Training Council. Um, the acronym is ABTC, and they actually are the governing body that registers these equine behaviorists working with horses um, clients and the fear that horse behavior um, seems to generate. And the participants uh, would try to explain fear and anxiety to these owners, and sometimes they didn't buy into that. They thought maybe it was just the horse being uh, naughty or misbehaving. So these interviews were conducted and then put through a thematic analysis, and then it was written up to reflect the discussion points. Now, I'd like to go into thematic analysis and that was also used in last week's research where um, it's an interview transcript and a researcher will have to go through the entire transcript and look for meaningful patterns in themes across the data. Now, the patterns can be analyzed by repetitive data reading, by data coding, and theme creation. So, in this instance, there's a wide range of similar behaviors that has been associated with fear and stress responses. Um, eye wrinkling, twitching, blinking, uh, wide or triangulated eyes, um, ear position, muscular tension, uh, elimination, avoidance, and tail swishing. Now, stabled horses were found to show a hierarchy of behaviors with increasing physiological markers of stress. Therefore, given both the welfare implications for those horses and safety implications for their handlers, it's crucial that people are able to recognize situations that are mildly stressful for horses so that they can intervene and reduce the stressors before the behaviors escalate. And that is the key, is to nip them in the bud before they become um, more than uh, what you can actually handle or they become so ingrained that you can't really ever... Um, eliminate them or those behaviors and that fear response can never be eliminated. It can just, it's always there under the surface and uh, you can habituate, you can uh, try a bunch of different um, training mechanisms. However, the best training is to not grow that response 
Now, I'm in no way excluding myself in this population of horse trainers. I know there have been times where I've seen avoidance behavior in a horse, and yet I've still pushed on. Um, we've all done it, and I think what's important at this stage of the game is to learn to recognize the anxiety behavior and make a plan on how to alleviate the stressful condition. I had a meetup this week with Dr. Kate Finner, and she made a great point about breaking things down or lessons down into manageable steps, and these steps will be different for each individual horse. Um, you have to go in there and recognize your horse as an individual and then decide how you are going to break down certain lessons and alleviate that stress um, in baby steps. And each horse will have to be dealt with uh, differently. There are many barriers to recognizing and interpreting the subtle body language involved. Um, there's an individual element to these behaviors with some horses more overt or apparent than others. Um, it's very, very easy to confuse relaxation with the demeanor of a horse who is just shut down, depressed, and approaching or is in a, maybe a state of learned helplessness. So I think it's insufficient to rely purely on a quantitative study of whether or not particular behavioral indicators are present. And I think it takes a degree of nuance uh, when interpreting these equine behaviors. And I think that's part of the journey. I think that's what each individual horse um, will eventually teach us. So the hypothesis of this study was that behaviorists were likely to report that many horse caregivers are unable to correctly identify fear and or anxiety behaviors in horses, and that hypothesis was proven to be correct. So these interviews were conducted um, through July and August of last summer, uh, 2022, with a total of nine animal behavior and training council registered behaviorists from across the United Kingdom. So now let's get into the questions. Um, these interviews of these behaviorists, um, they were uh, done via Zoom, and then they were transcribed. And those transcriptions, that is what they use to separate the data. And um, some of the questions, like question one, how well do people recognize fear and or anxiety in horses? And we've kind of already talked about this, but um, the consensus is they usually will not have recognized those small behavioral signs. Um, they might see it um, as the horse being naughty, uh, cheeky, disobedient. So uh, they never really put it together that that is a stress response or a fear or anxiety. So then that led into uh, question two, which is how do caregivers tend to respond when you as a behaviorist 
tell them their horse is acting out of fear. And some accept it, but sometimes some don't believe it. Um, they are very attached to their horses, and they just don't see that some of their more predatorial behavior is making the horse stressed out. And so uh, several of the people uh, that were clients uh, of these behaviorists, they expressed uh, such a strong emotional attachment, yet um, it was very difficult for them to accept that some of what they were seeing was the result of fear, anxiety, or stress. So when the behaviorists were asked, uh, question three, is fear, anxiety, something you tend to always talk about in a consultation, or is it a primary reason for calling you out? They say they always end up talking about it in a consultation. They said a lot of times the reason they're called out is also because of a fear response. So um, they every single one of them, uh, all nine, said that they always try to weave it in to the conversation. So by weaving it into the conversation, that leads to question four, which what explanations have worked best uh, in your conversations with horse owners or the people that are your clients, that their horses are fearful. And they make an analogy with human experiences of fear. They uh, always bring in horse ethology or natural behavior. And then a lot of times, all they do is uh, have the client observe the horse with them standing there and point out, now this this is avoidance behavior, and they give their best take on why that horse is doing that avoidance behavior. So I, th I thought that was really the best way to do it is to kind of let the owners or trainers or riders see the behavior and then point out, what your experience tells you, uh, what that horse is trying to uh, express. And then uh, question five is kind of repetitive. It said, uh, do you come across resistance? And um, they said that uh, they do in the beginning, uh, as was said before, because people are attached to their horses and they just don't want to believe that they're creating creating uh, the anxiety. And then uh, question six, uh, do you think there is a difference in how people perceive fear and or anxiety if the cause of it is a thing or if the cause of it is the owner themselves, such as maybe a training method or maybe your response to a negative reinforcement. So um, when answering this question, all the behaviorists describe case studies and reflections comparing how owners perceive fear when horses fear objects. Uh, so they tend to accept that a little bit easier than the fact that they may be the ones 
creating the fear. So, uh, I, and I think that makes sense. We all, we don't want to be the people that think we're creating a stressful situation for our horses. But I think in reflection, we always know that if we just slow down enough and really break those lessons down, we see it. We A lot of times we, we just don't take the time to reflect on what our training is doing or uh, what we may be doing wrong. So one of the final questions was, are things changing in the industry? And most of them were positive and thought things are changing as these situations are brought to the forefront. And especially uh, in the UK, there's a lot of welfare uh, conditions that they're attacking uh, pretty much head on. Uh, I know we don't have that in the United States. Uh, the UK goes as far to say uh, how you can keep a horse. So a 12 by 12 stall uh, in feet is recommended. And, um, you know, they're doing it because of that uh, social license to change uh, type of mentality where um we all have a approval rating, so to speak, from society on how we treat our horses. And there's always going to be both extremes in that case. But, um, you know, that kind of wraps it up pretty tightly that it's all about knowledge transfer. It's all about using evidence-based research. And when you get that research, Look for current research as well that might, may supersede previous research because research isn't the end all. A lot of times um, another paper or another group or another study comes in to counter something. So just keep up with what's happening in science and research and in training and, uh, you know, apply that to each individual horse. So um, that was pretty much all the, um, all the questions and how they tabulated the thematic analysis. And, you know, I always think that um, Andrew McLean, he runs Equitation Science International, one of my favorite people to listen to and to watch. Uh, interact with horses. Um, he always says during riding, you need to look for hollowness. Uh, you don't want this stress positioning. You want roundness and relaxation. The back should be soft and flight response should be absent, not observable. So sometimes you see a horse uh, that's riding, is, appears to be riding uh, very well, uh, looks great, but you detect this explosiveness that's underneath it. And that's not riding under a state of relaxation. You can look at the face and look for wrinkles above the lips and nose. Um, the whites of the eyes, uh, called the sclera, shouldn't be noticeable. Uh, you also can get wrinkles above the eye, giving a triangular appearance, and hips should have a nice swing to them. The tail should be relaxed and swinging, not being swished. 
And then ears are a big indicator. I mean, sometimes ears um, should be uh, pricked ahead for a few strides and then back towards the rider as if listening. And then um, especially the ear on the side that you're giving an aid on, you'll see one ear stay forward, another the other ear go to the side or to the back. Um, if the ears are always forward, that indicates, according to Dr. McLean, that they may be looking for a way to escape. If the ears are flopped to the side, that may be a learned helplessness sign. So we need to get very good at recognizing and analyzing how the horse feels. And this is good welfare during uh, training. And that's what we should all aim for. We're all constantly learning and each horse is different. It, it's quite a task in uh, interpreting each individual horse. You may want to keep a notebook. Um, I tend to do that because sometimes I'll forget the little, the little insights that I'll get while I'm training. If I don't write them down after the training session, I may forget them for the next uh, training that I do with that horse. So anyway, that was about it on this paper, and I hope everybody gets a little bit out of it. You can go to the horse grimace scale and find out those little tension areas that sometimes are so hard to uncover or to detect. And uh, there's plenty of Andrew McLean YouTube videos that I just love. And uh, anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this. I've enjoyed reviewing this and being able to kind of refresh it all in my own mind. Now, uh, next week, Kate will be back with us and we'll be delving into the world of saddles again. Esther requested an episode on treeless saddles and what does the most current research projects reveal? So I thought what we would do is to make it different from other saddle episodes is we'll look into the different tree types of saddles and then we'll look at the tree list and then we'll kind of go into the proportions of each individual saddle component and what that may mean uh, according to horse shape. So I'm going to look for the uh, research paper and Kate and I will be back next week. So thanks everyone for listening in and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.